Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another special edition of the Decision Hour. I'm going to be your host today, Adam Bird, and uh, I'm really excited about what we have in store for you today, folks. Um, I got We're going to be talking with uh, Carl Monger. He's an Army veteran, Ranger, uh, officer, and those of you that have been listening to me for the last couple of years, you've you've, uh, you've heard me mention Carl's name at least a half a dozen times. That uh, a man that I. I have the utmost respect for someone who I consider a mentor and I'm honored to call a friend. Uh, we're going to talk about his organizations, what he's been doing. And, uh, he's got a, a new show that or show that's coming back. Uh, and it's going to be joining the, uh, heroes media group network, uh, with us. So without further ado, Carl, are you there? Adam, I was expecting trumpets and horns. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, I gave the band the day off and I get them mixed up, so I'll make sure well, when no, we edit okay. it also. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good, good. And now you, you've been very busy. So, Carl, we're going to jump right into this stuff here because I, I got Go a lot it. of things I want to talk to you about. Um, for our listeners uh, here, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, I... I was born, uh, how's that Steve Martin line go? No, I won't use that. Uh, <laughs> Carl's working on his stand-up, folks. You'll see him this weekend at the local Trophy Club Comedy Club. <laughs> there you go. You just gave away where I live now. Thanks. <laughs> People are going to be banging down your doors. Trust me. I'll, 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 don't worry. I'll handle the management side of it, Carl. We're, we're yeah, I'll good. make sure and I'll turn off the final protective fire. Yeah, right. <laughs> But go go ahead and tell them a no, little I, bit about your history. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. I, I um, who doesn't like to talk about themselves, right? <laughs> well, I, well, I, it's interesting because sometimes when somebody asks me that question, I don't know how deep to go into it because, as you know, I'm the founder and executive director of Gallant Few, and the story of Gallant Few coming into existence is hopefully it's not a culmination, but it's a natural. Uh, outcome of my life to date, e- even all the way back to shoot before I was born, because my my grandfather on my father's side was a combat infantryman in World War II, got a CIB in the Pacific in the towards the end of World War II, and then also fought in Korea and Vietnam, three war infantrymen. Wow. And uh, and suffered from post traumatic stress and probably traumatic brain injury. Was an alcoholic and passed away in 1977. I never met him. He threw my dad out of his home when my dad was still a teenager, and uh, and my dad went into the military, ultimately retired as a sergeant major, but he left my family when I was four, two-year-old sister, my mom was pregnant, and I never saw him, not once, between the ages of four until I was 20. And uh, And I was very bitter about that for a long period of time, and in retrospect, I have learned that the the problems associated with post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury, when undiagnosed or when misdiagnosed or mistreated, they're generational away. They, they cause a ripple out into future time because children that aren't even born yet are going to suffer from the consequences of a broken relationship, a, a family or, or a father that that has a, a big falling out with his son and that son carries the trash forward and, and is also an alcoholic and then basically destroys another family. And, you know, thank God there, there are people that can step in and kind of say, 
like I have said, although I also have gone through a divorce, but I said that the, the cycle stops here. I have all the traits or uh, warning markers of being an alcoholic, but I'm not an alcoholic. And, you know, thank God, I don't know if I got a good blood from my mom's side of the family or what it was, but, uh, but I see that time and time and time again. And in veterans that I work with now, some of them are the first generation person that's having the the issue of post-traumatic stress, TBI, alcoholism, whatever. But I see into the future what's going to happen to their family and their their kids' kids, and it can be a big wake-up call. And I talk about it. But so so back into talking about me, the experiences that I had from being raised by a single-parent mom and having to be the man of the house from the age of five until my mom remarried when I was 12, and uh, being a kid receiving services from then the new Big Brothers organization, and then being a mentor for an at-risk youth when I was a college student in the Big Brothers organization, and then after I left the military, uh, also taking a leadership position in a Big Brothers organization. So I, I have this long history of mentoring and and I understand from being a recipient and a provider and a staff person in a social service organization the things that are important that that need to happen and uh and when I parallel that with my military experience and I left active duty 1993 after a year after we had a helicopter crash that killed 12 guys <clears throat> several of whom were very good friends of mine and one was my boss for a year and uh, it was luck of the draw or fate, whatever you want to call it, that I wasn't on that helicopter because normally the uh, I was the assistant S3 at the time. The S3 or the assistant S3 would have gone on that bird, and I believe the uh, the S3 at that time was Joe Votel. And, you know, Joe Votel just took command of CENTCOM as four-star general, and he was not on the bird because there were – uh, other folks there from 3rd Ranger Battalion that were overlaying on top of us because we were doing this big exercise that was a rehearsal for a real-world world mission that actually never occurred. But two battalion commanders being on that helicopter should never have happened, but it did. And, you know, I could have been the, the other guy on that bird. Joe Votel could have been the other guy on that bird. And history, in a number of different ways, uh, might be different. Shoot, if that bird had never gone in and those two Ranger Battalion commanders and one Air Force Battalion commander, if those three guys had not died, they were cream of the crop in their generation, and they were one step above the McChrystal Petraeus group. And that leadership level, that was wiped out. And, you know, the whole post-9-11 world might have been a little bit different if they had been in there doing the, the things that they were able to do. So, so then back to me. Um, when I went on active duty, I, I'm one of those guys that really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. My mom had always steered me away from the Army because of my dad. And uh, I, I got tricked because I was studying engineering and I was drinking too much beer and chasing too many college women. And, uh, and I needed an easy A. And I saw a sign during registration on the wall of the engineering school building that said, Marksmanship Class. And lo and behold, it was an ROTC class in disguise. And once I got in and, and connected with some of the folks, the professor of military science was a Vietnam veteran, looked like John Wayne, Green Beret, Ranger Tab, 82nd Airborne, just phenomenal guy. And uh, following his example, I ended up going into the Army, really worried that I wouldn't get infantry, which is kind of funny because I got it. 
And uh, but as I went into active duty, I didn't understand really truly what a Ranger Battalion was. I didn't really understand the Brotherhood, the you know coming from being completely separated from the military, not not really being a military brat uh, into that environment was a, a big change of life. It was a wake up call for me. I'd never felt that close with other people until I had served and ultimately been a company commander in a light infantry unit in the 25th Infantry Division and then being a staff officer in a Ranger Battalion. And uh, my experience as I left active duty, the the transition, uh, roadblocks, brick walls, whatever you want to call it that I ran into as I left, have, with the foundation that I had in social services before, that's kind of combined to bring me to the point where Gallant Few started. And, uh, and in 2009, I heard then Secretary of the VA Shinseki talk about 18 veterans committing suicide every day. And I had been instrumental in setting up some of the first Ranger LinkedIn networking groups, and I had one that had 1,000 Rangers in it. And I thought, and I said, well, by God, we've got 1,000 Army Rangers that say a Ranger's not going to commit suicide. So we intentionally, me and a couple other folks, went about setting up an organization that, you know, thinking back to how do you handle an at-risk population, how do you connect them when they're in a place where they could have a problem and hopefully avert that problem, and we came around to the big brother, big sisters mentoring aspect and uh, initially started with just rangers and right after that opened it up to every branch of the service. And since then we've developed sub-programs that, that address certain populations like Marine Corps, Army Rangers, Air Force, and then Gallup, you picks up the the uh, slack for anybody that doesn't fall neatly into one of those buckets. But uh, and Carl, I'd like to say we're 100% successful, but we've failed many times because I know guys since I started this that have taken their own life. Right. And that's one of those things that just re-energizes me more and more. So you got a lot of background in this, and, it, and I appreciate you sharing your your personal story on that because yeah you got to be careful what you ask for because yeah, that, that, I mean that's it <laughs> and that's that's really something else so you gallant few and the, I want to talk a little bit more about gallant few here and how that all that all started it ties into what you're talking about so that started you said around 2009 2009 I, I wrote a concept paper okay and uh and I actually even responded to a one of those Department of Defense Centers of Excellence where they were asking for uh, some kind of a suicide prevention program. So I called it the Ranger Buddies program and put together a white paper, sent it in. They sent me a nice note back saying, thanks for applying, but you're not a winner. And uh, I approached several large Ranger uh, alumni associations with the concept of one-on-one connections, hometown Rangers that have transitioned successfully 5, 10, 20 years before helping Rangers that are just coming to town, wherever that might be, make that transition smoothly. And, uh, and neither one of them were either in a position to or were interested in taking that mission on. So I, I, I figured, well, I guess I better do it myself. So reached out, put a team together, and, and started. We came a 501c3 in 2010, and we've been in operation now for – uh, around six years as a, an official nonprofit, folks. <clears throat> folks, we're you're already listening to the show. The show is called the Decision Hour, and it's and rightfully so. And it's guys like Carl here that that makes this show what it is. Uh, absolutely awesome. Carl gets out, makes the decision, starts a, a nonprofit organization to give back and help help the fellow his fellow Rangers, and, and ultimately now uh, 
veterans in the veterans community as a whole. You're already listening to this. You're online. Open up another browser. Go to gallantfew.org. That's gallantfew.org. Uh, and check this out uh, and, and take a look at this program. This is a, a program that I've, I've known Carl now for, God, probably going on four years. Uh, and and I'm looking at the website. You've updated the website here. The website looks absolutely amazing. We revised it several months ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really digging this. Folks, again, it's gallantview.org. Um, kind of go, so you started with, with the, you know, the Rangers, and it's 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 uh, it's branched out to all services and, and, and the veteran community. What would you say the primary mission is of Gallant Few? Our mission is to help every veteran transition from military service to a civilian life filled with purpose and hope. And that doesn't mean while they're in the process of ETSing. You know, they could have been out for 10 years or 20 years. And I work with veterans all the time that have been out, uh, left active duty a long time ago. And that transition, Mike Schlitz, who's a friend of both ours, double-hand amputee, he gave a talk at the Raider Project Transition Seminar this last weekend where he talked about, you know, people say, so how was your transition? And he says, there's no was to it. It's ongoing. Until the day I die, I will continue to transition, whether it's through from from the current prosthetics to new prosthetics or from my professional level doing this to a professional level doing something else. Uh, he says, you're always transitioning and you, and you, from the day that your mom kicked you out of the house and sent you to kindergarten, you started transitioning. And uh, when, when my personal opinion, based on now six years of observing veterans go through this process, those that are the most at risk for suicide are those that over the course of a number of years as they have had doors closed in front of them, if they've had brick walls put up that they can't get around and relationships destroyed, they get to a point where they feel like the most impactful thing, the best thing they ever did in their life was back when they were in the military. And whether it was serving during a time of peacetime or whether it was in combat and wartime, that the team, the camaraderie, the, the feeling of being part of that team is something they have not been able to replicate. And some folks are able to do it. It doesn't happen to everybody. But those that get to the point where suicide is the answer, in my opinion, have gone through this long process of getting to a point where they they don't have a purpose. And once they get to that realization or they believe that, then they have no hope. And if you don't have hope, it's incredibly difficult to wake up every day and do something. And... uh, I, I see too many men and women that are self-medicating with alcohol that are over-medicated by the VA, and uh, they're just breathing oxygen, and they get to the point where they don't they don't feel like it's fair for them to continue to do it, or the pain, the emotional and the physical pain they're in is so great that they want it to end, and that's when they end it. And that's and that's really sad when that that happens because I, th- I think between the two of us and the, over the course of the last five six years we've seen a lot of that. That happened. Well, our, my my grandfather, the two war, three war inf- infantryman that I talked about earlier, 1977, he died alone in a men's shelter, and all his possessions fit in a shoebox. And uh, you know that's that shouldn't happen, no. but it happens today still. Carl Gallant Fuse got. Um, quite a few different programs. Um, why don't we touch base a little bit on some of these programs that Gallant Fuse mm-hmm. offers? 
Well, the commonality of all of them is it's based on a one-on-one relationship. And whether it's the Raider Project, which is Marine Corps Special Operations and Infantrymen, and or it's the Darby Project, which is tabbed rangers and rangers that served in the regiment, or any of the uh, alumni or legacy units, or Wings Level, which is an Air Force program, or anything that we come up with in the future, the most powerful thing that we can do is connect a veteran with a veteran that's just like him or her, that lives locally. And when you're going through a rough patch as a veteran, you have been trained through your military career to solve your own problems. You know, you go to your squad leader and you say, oh, I have a problem. Your squad leader is going to smack you around, tell you he didn't want to hear it, and send you back out to go figure it out. And, uh, and, and you learn, and the people that become successful in the military have learned to resolve problems. They often forget that they always have a battle buddy or a swim mate or a whatever shipmate, whatever the other branches of the service call it, but they always have somebody that they're closely connected with that's kind of watching their back while they're on active duty. And when they leave active duty, they retain the attitude of, got to solve my own problems, can't admit weakness, got to suck it up, drive on, but they're doing it without the benefit of that, that person that's watching their back. So you, and, you uh, put them in touch with somebody in their local community. Let's say, and just for an example, Carl, for the, mm-hmm. um, let's say you got somebody coming you know, here to Phoenix or, or whatnot, that was a, a, an Army veteran and, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot, you, 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 you would put them in touch with, like, me or somebody else in this area that's a veteran? And Yeah, yeah. First thing is we want to find out what branch of the service, okay, Army. Okay, so what did you do or where did you serve in the Army? Well, I was in the 9th Infantry Division or I was in the 1st Infantry Division. Okay, so what was your MOS? Well, I was a 63 Bravo or I was an 11 Bravo. So I'm going to look for a veteran in the Phoenix area that served in the same division that had the same MOS, if possible. Right. That's hard to do in a lot of cases, but we try to get it as close as possible. Right. And then we get them connected. And from that point, you just about have to step back and get out of the way. And, uh, and the, we call a mentor, <clears throat> we call that person a guide. And we call the veteran that is going through the transition and receiving assistance, we call them a future guide because the expectation is, as they work through their transition, they're able to share those lessons with somebody that comes behind them. And that's the reason why there's so many layers that goes to a one-on-one relationship between two veterans when one veteran has gone through a lot more life experience and is able to share that with the other veteran. The closer that you make that connection, the more um, immediate the trust and the friendship can develop. Because if you have somebody that went through the same MOS school as you, only they did it 20 years ago or maybe they did it in Vietnam, then you're like, oh, my gosh, well, what was it like when you were there? And and as you start talking, you may even find out that you have some mutual friends. But that that connection brings about a level of communication, and that communication allows the sharing of lessons learned. And it also provides an example because, you know, how does a veteran go from – being ex-MOS in the military to being CEO of X company or being a sales manager in a company or owning their own media business, whatever that might be, how did you do that? And then that other veteran that to, to the point where they are in their life, they've had most the same resources in terms of military experience that the person that's guiding them had. So they can go, holy cow, you mean I can take what I've experienced and learned and I can become you maybe in 10 years? Absolutely. So let's talk about how that works. And then 
the one thing that is absolutely critical, and uh, and I encourage guides to not wait to do this, but ask about the tough stuff. Because you know, I'll tell a veteran, when I left active duty, I was so depressed. Black Hawk Down, Somalia happened several months after I left active duty. I knew men that were there. Uh, I was I was depressed. I was angry. I was hurt. I, w- I felt ashamed that I wasn't part of the team when they went. And uh, and I didn't want to tell other people that I was a, a Ranger veteran because they might ask questions like, well, why did you leave active duty? How come you weren't over there with them? And that can be an, an embarrassing or a shameful thing you don't even want to go through. But if I tell a Ranger that's left active duty now, hey, you know, back during Somalia, I was ashamed and embarrassed that I wasn't with them and I didn't even want to tell anybody I was a Ranger, that Ranger might say, I felt the same way because my my platoon or my company is back over in Afghanistan right now and I'm not with them and it's it's been very depressing. Well, then we can talk about how I got through that in my life and how how I used other relationships to help me process that and how it's okay to feel those things because they're normal, but they're not, in some cases, they're not true. You don't need to be ashamed of your service because you're not there with them now because all of us are going to leave active duty and move on to something else at some point in time or another. Uh, I had a first sergeant, Ranger first sergeant that's retired that I spoke with a couple of weeks ago, and he told me as we were talking back and forth, he said, yeah, there's only one way to honorably leave the regiment, and that's in a box with a flag on it. So if you don't leave the box, leave the regiment in a box with a flag on it and be a forever hero of the regiment, now you're somebody that used to be a ranger and now you're nobody. And that was what he was saying because because he had to separate from that team. That was his identity. And, uh, and now he has to build on what his true identity is, and that's himself. And he can't hang it on the job that he holds or the unit that he belongs to or even the person that he dates. Carl, do you find it hard for veterans that are that are trying to make that transition or that have been out for a while to open up and talk about, uh, you know, talk about their experience and stuff? I mean, I, I you know, you and I, we, you know, we can't really use you and I or, or you know, me, you, or, and and Michael Schlitz or anything like that because we, we we've had these conversations before, sure. you know, face to face. But when you when you're dealing with somebody new that you've never talked to before and you're making that first phone call, how do you break the ice with that and let them know that hey, you know, open up and talk about it? And I because what I'm hearing now, by all means, correct me if I'm wrong, but you really need to kind of open up. I mean, if you want things to get better and you want to change and you want to move forward with your life after the military, you, you really kind of got to be open to, to talk about it. Well, the fact of the matter is that over in the last six years, I've spoken with hundreds, if not thousands of veterans, definitely hundreds of Army Ranger veterans, and a common theme throughout all of them. And if I'm speaking with an Army Ranger on the telephone that someone has referred to me, or maybe he found our website and called me up, I'll say, of the hundreds of Army Rangers that I've spoken with, these are the things they're dealing with. Their expectations from ACAP are not realized because they thought it was going to be a lot easier to get a job than it is. The VA is jacking them around because either they've got appointments that are so far out it's ridiculous, or they've immediately stuck them on a half dozen or more prescription medications, which is making it hard for them to think. And because they're not succeeding as rapidly as they did when they were in the Army, and the VA has made them feel like they're broken and a piece of crap. They've started drinking because they're having a hard time processing. And at this point, I've had 
men that have more than six combat deployments that are, have been squad leaders in the Ranger Regiment have started crying on the telephone because I'm telling them things that they're doing and, and you know, I don't know them personally, but I'm relaying to them based on the experience of all these other people that it's normal. What they're going through is something that a lot of people go through, some to a greater, some to a lesser extent. But now all of a sudden what they've kept bottled up inside of them is I'm not normal. I'm weird. I'm, I'm not really a man because I can't handle this situation or I can't, you know, whatever it is. Now all of a sudden I've just, it's like a balloon that's full of pressure and I just stuck it with a pin and all that pressure goes out. And, uh, and then when they realize, number one, that they're not weird or unusual and that it's normal to feel like that, now they want to have a conversation and they'll start asking questions. And then I can share things as to, you know, examples of how other people have gotten through what they're going through. And I can also tell them, if you continue down the path, there are some things that are coming that you're not going to like. And one of them is your significant other is going to leave. And uh, and sometimes at that point I have guys say, well, yeah, she's already threatened that. Well, I'll tell you, if she walks out the door, you're going to think about killing yourself. Well, I already did that too. Okay, so there you go. So you are huge at risk for ending up a suicide case. And uh, And you might not mean it right now, but halfway through a bottle of Jack Daniels, you might be feeling so so sad and depressed that you might do it and not be in your right mind when you do it. So you got to talk about these things so that they understand, you know, it, it goes back to the, the things that you learned on active duty. Nobody, I guess somebody at one point did, but the normal thing, if you're out on a patrol and you get ambushed is probably not to charge the ambush line. It's to lay down, return fire, get behind a tree, you know, something. But somebody somewhere realized that your greatest odds of surviving a, transit, a, a near ambush is to run towards the guns and, and assault through the weapons. Otherwise, you're all dead. And uh, because that's not a natural thing to do, what happens when you join the Army? They put you in a bleachers and they say, okay, this is react ambush. And they draw it on a chalkboard or they show a slideshow or they do something that starts at the crawl phase of learning how to survive an ambush. And then they take you out onto a flat open field and you walk through it like you're on a maybe a football field or something where there's no obstacles and you just be practice reacting to ambush. And then as you get better, you move from the crawl into the walk and the run phase. And eventually you're doing it, you know, at night in a protective mask with live rounds. And that's because somebody captured those lessons and they pushed them out and they said, you've got to learn to do this to survive. But the things that we know are going to happen as you go through transition, nobody before Gallup Few has been collecting these things and passing them on in terms of an after-action review. So we know that you're going to have a hassle at the VA. We know it right now we, you're going to have a hassle at the VA. We know that they're going to over-medicate you. We know they're going to give what, in my opinion, is at best it's incompetence, at worst it's criminal negligence, uh, improper care for post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. And we know that all of those things combined are going to make it hard for you to keep or hold a job. Uh, you're going to have financial problems. You're going to have relationship problems. You're going to drink yourself to sleep. And at some point, somebody's going to leave, and, and your life is just going to get worse and worse and worse until you don't want to be here anymore. Right. And uh, we can hit all that off. And when you see yourself on that continuum, 
and you recognize some of those gates that you're passing through, that's where you can go, holy crap, let me stop right now because I recognize what, where I am. What do I need to do? Well, then we can say, okay, here, here we can. We have these other resources that we've developed that are trusted, that are proven, that we can divert from the drug therapy that the VA does into something else that can help bring them from that medicated state into something that actually treats the cause of the symptoms of the post-traumatic stress and and everything else that people experience we've got we've got ways we've got resources we'll, we'll figure out what we need to do to help somebody do it and the hometown guide is a huge part of that because some of them have been through it the hard way and they came out of it by luck of the draw but nobody asked them, hey, send me your AAR comments on how you survived your transition so we can pass them on to somebody else. Now we're doing that. Absolutely amazing. So when you're making it, you know, I think of transitioning. When you're transitioning out of the military, it, it, is it safe to say that you almost go, it's like starting training all over again? You know, when, when we first joined the military, you go to basic training and, and, and then, you know, your AIT school or, or if you're in, you know, one of, one of the special ops communities, you go to, you know, the Q school and, and or, or, or RIP or what have you, and then Ranger school and, and so on. When, when you're transitioning out, it, it's, you're so used to doing it. If you've been in the military for quite a while, um, is it safe to say that you, you kind of have, it's almost like you're starting training all over again? To a certain extent. Uh, I think one of the unrealistic expectations that the ACAP program sets is that, hey, if you're a platoon sergeant, you're leaving active duty, you're going to get a middle management job, you're going to supervise people. You know, it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, right? <laughs> and, oh, excuse me. And what there are, there are a couple of ways that we work through that. One is we work the heck out of our veteran network because we don't want a veteran that we're helping to upload a resume to a corporate database. We want the veteran we're helping to say, there's a job I identified, and then we're going to find a veteran that works there that can help advocate for and pull them into the organization with the potential for them landing at a higher level of responsibility and compensation than they might have if they got selected by uploading their resume, of which very few people do because, you know, when, when corporations go and they list a job for on, on whatever forum they're trying to hire somebody, they probably already have somebody in mind. And the person that gets that job is not going to be somebody that cold walks in off the street. It's probably going to be somebody that they have known that is related or friends with somebody that works there. Right. And, you know, there are, there are times when they hire people just out of the blue. But I don't believe that that's the norm. No. And, uh, and when we can crease the skids by having a veteran help on the inside, that, that helps. Now, go, go back to what you said about landing at an entry-level job because a lot of times – you get offered a position, veterans that I've spoken with have been offered a position at a company that it's less money, less authority, less responsibility than they had when they were on active duty. That happened to me 20-plus years ago when I left active duty. And uh, and I took it because I realized that you got to start somewhere. Right. And as I got into this organization, it, during the two years that I worked there, I've been promoted three times, was making double my initial salary by the time I left. But I left because my values in that organization, they weren't lining up. And I needed to go uh, somewhere where I felt that my skills and abilities would be better suited, plus my values would align. 
Well, and this is a prime example of the value of a guide because a veteran that I had known in high school, we had been in ROTC together, both got commissioned on the same day, but he had a year to finish school. So I went off, he stayed, he went in and did six years in the Army and then got out, whereas I did 10 years. So he got out four, four years or so before I did. And he knew what he wanted to do. And he came back to Kansas and he went to work as a service manager in a construction equipment shop and a family-owned business. And he got promoted to be the sales manager. And when he became the sales manager, now I had, or not sales manager, excuse me, a salesman. Now I'd come back to town and he'd take me to lunch and brag about how much money he was making. And, uh, and then he was being promoted after I'd been there for two years, he was being promoted to run this branch operation of this company. And he came to me and he said, I want to hire you to backfill me as the salesman. And I said, man, I don't know sales. I don't know construction equipment. And, uh, and I have a bad opinion of salespeople because I bought a car before. So, you know, it sounds like a disaster to me. And he said, and this is the huge transition lesson in it. He said, the skills, sales, the, the actual specifications of the iron, I can teach you. What I cannot teach is character, ethics, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the way that you have held yourself to a standard and that you strive for higher levels of achievement. He said, you've proven in the Army that if you want to do something, you can do it. And he said, I can't teach that. So if you decide this is what you want to do, I'll provide you the tools. You'll be successful. And, and that's what happened. I went and worked, worked there and cut my teeth selling construction equipment when I no, didn't know anything about it and made more money that year than I'd ever made in my life. And, uh, and for the next around 15 years, I, I worked for him at two different companies, worked for three different construction equipment. Yeah, three different construction equipment firms, four, excuse me. And, uh, and, and always in an increasing level of responsibilities, I moved from one to the other. And uh, you, have to, you have to start someplace. But when you demonstrate your skills and abilities and you do it in a way that fits in with the organization, you're going to get promoted. And, and if not, what's going to happen is somebody from outside the organization is going to see you and they're going to hire you away, which happened to me a couple of times. Unbelievable. And that's great advice, too. So thank you for that, Carl. I want to I want to uh, kind of do a little switch over here because I'm I'm looking at the on the at the website real real brief. Tell our listeners what the descendants of Sparta is. Real brief. <laughs> <laughs> no, as, as in all the programs I talked about, mm-hmm. rely on one-on-one connections. The descendants of Sparta is the same way. Only the descendants of Sparta is not necessarily you connecting with somebody new in your community. It's connecting or reconnecting with someone you served with. Might be somebody you deployed with, might be somebody you shared a foxhole with, might be somebody that you worked in a motor pool with during a peacetime army, but it's somebody that you know you had a relationship with. And the way there's a lot of talk about suicide in the military and in the veteran community. Uh, I heard Shinseki say 18. Now the VA says it's 22. I saw a little video clip the other day. Some executive director claimed it was 29. Well, I don't know that it's possible to actually measure how many it is. One is too many. But you can't go and say, by gosh, we're going to stop 22 suicides a day. We're going to end that because 
that's an impossible goal to do. Right. But what you can do is you can say, we're going to stop the next suicide. And if you focus always on stopping the next suicide, then the 22 number will vanish. But the way that you stop the, the next suicide is by reaching out to a buddy and, and reminding that person that they're loved, respected, that they're important to you. And it might be somebody you haven't seen in 20 years, but reaching out and making that connection and then watching the little video on Descendants of Sparta or the SpartanPledge.com, it takes you to the same place, SpartanPledge.com, excuse me. There's a short minute and a half, two-minute video where Boone Cutler talks about the Spartan Pledge, how it came about and what it is. And uh, if, if two veterans take that pledge, it doesn't say I won't kill myself. It says I will not kill myself. I will not take my life by my own hand until I call you first, and I'll make it my mission to find a mission to help my warfighter family. And when a veteran makes that promise, they won't kill themselves until they call the other one first, they call because it's unfathomable for them to kill themselves having made a promise that they would call that other person. Yeah. And once you call, now the communication line is open, and odds are really, really good that person is not going to commit suicide because now they're in a position where you can communicate and you can remind them how important they are and that they're loved. I, mean, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that that person that you have maybe not spoken with, and, and I don't mean you personally, I mean anybody that's listening to this, if there's somebody that you served with that you have not communicated with in a while, you need to reach out and contact them because you don't know what they're going through. And you don't want to be the one that sees on social media tomorrow that so-and-so took their own life today when you were thinking about maybe reaching out and calling them because you might have been able to hit that off. And, uh, and the last half is absolutely important and that's find a mission. And in this case, it's find a mission to, to have a mission to help my, my warfighter family. But any, anything that a veteran is up against, and a classic example is sleep. You know, when you have not slept, your mind starts to do weird things physiologically. Your body starts to do weird things. You can't think straight. Depression you're at a greater risk of depression, substance abuse, the whole bit. And uh, you got to get sleep. You, you have to make a conscious effort. You have to make it your mission to get quality sleep. And that might mean going to the library and doing research. It might mean, you know, finding a leading expert in the field online and watching a video or something. But you got to figure out how to get some sleep, and you got to make it your mission to do that. And once your mind is clear from getting sleep, now you can start the next mission, which, you know, you, you develop from there. But, you know, the somebody that doesn't have a purpose doesn't have hope. And that finding a mission is the first step towards having purpose. And it provides a, a menu for, for moving back into a transition, into a life of purpose and hope. Ladies and gentlemen, we got Carl Monger on the phone with us, uh, founder of Gallant Few. And I want you to open up another browser right now. Go to gallantfew.org. It's gallantfew.org. Uh, Carl, I'm going to do another shift here just a little bit. And um, mm -hmm. uh, one of the other programs that you guys have, and you, you do this every February, and it's called Run, Ranger, Run. Um, for our listeners out there that have never seen this, uh, it's it, me personally, I think it's a great event. I, I did it last year. I didn't do it this past year because, uh, well, I was I was an idiot and didn't 
lost track of the time, but um, Run Ranger Run, it's a, it's a great event that you guys hold in the month of February. How was that, how was Run Ranger Run started? Well, I got to say right now, first, if Run Ranger Run had not happened, Gallant Few would probably not exist as a viable organization because, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that will kill a nonprofit is the inability to get funding so that they can complete their mission or provide their mission and grow to serve more veterans or more whoever. And in this case, back in the early days of Gallant Few, um, Thanksgiving of 2011, I got a phone call. Uh, I was actually on a family vacation in Colorado, and I got a phone call from an active duty Ranger squad leader who said, hey, one of my team leaders is leaving active duty the end of the year, and he has this crazy idea that he's going to run from Columbus, Georgia, back to his home in Indianapolis. And uh, he said, you guys might be able to help him accomplish that mission and maybe get a little awareness along the way. So I got on the phone with Corey Smith. We talked about what he wanted to do, and he wanted to be the physical embodiment of the difficult journey that a soldier has going from active duty to being a civilian. And he had several buddies that were really struggling in their own transitions that had left earlier uh, that were still unemployed or that were struggling with finances or housing or whatever it was. And, uh, and he was forced into this transition because his wife took his one-year-old baby girl and cleaned out the apartment and said, choose, be a ranger, be a dad. And he chose being a dad. And, uh, and so that was, it was an extremely excruciating decision for him to make. But when I talked to him, I said, you know, we can help you accomplish your mission, but we need to raise some awareness along the way. That's what you said you want to be, a physical embodiment. Well, people have to know why you're coming through town, which means we've got to arrange interviews with the local media, maybe a chamber of commerce or the mayor or something. Otherwise, you're just some guy out for a jog through the town that nobody knows. So he agreed, and, uh, and we put a full court press on trying to get some publicity for him. Along the way, we, we, uh, he started, by the way, the, I think it was the 2nd or 3rd of January, and he wanted to be in Indianapolis before the Super Bowl, which was, I think, the first weekend in February. And, uh, and, and he made it. But as he started out, he ran until he developed a stress fracture, and then he walked until he got him a bike, and then he biked the rest of the way in. 525 miles, and he did it all basically in the month of January, ending in the first weekend of February. Made it to the Super Bowl, got up on the Super Bowl stage, talked about veteran issues to a crowd of people, and, uh, and it was a wonderful event. 7,000 Facebook fans followed him. His congressman asked for him to come attend the State of the Union address, which he did. And uh, he got a couple of interviews with Robin Meade on CNN Salute the Troops. And from that basis, we raised enough money through that awareness to pay for his expenses and have a couple thousand dollars left over for, for a donation to Gallant Few. And we decided the following year to try to replicate his feet, do it in February, and, and ask people to come together in teams of 10 to complete that 525 miles um, as a team of 10 combined. So, I'm sorry, 565 miles. And if you're a team of 10 and you divide it equally, then it's a little over 50 miles in a month. And you can walk, you can bike, you can whatever. And... Uh, swim. We've got one of the cool things that we've had is a team that had 
a soldier walking patrol overseas, a grandmother on a treadmill in the Y, a kid walking to school, and all of their miles accumulates and, and comes to the same team. This year, we took a, a little bit of a different approach, which I think we're going to expand on next year. And every day for the 29 days this year of February, we sent out one message that was a short, succinct first week it was, these are the issues facing our veterans. And the second week it was, these are the things that Gallifrey does about it. And the third week was, here's the impact on the community. And then the final week was a wrap-up of those messages. And it, it, we now, that is the largest fundraiser that Gallifrey does. We don't want to be the organization that every time you turn around, they have their hand, hand out or they're asking you to either donate on Facebook or go vote for us in some contest that we might win $10 in. We don't want to be that organization because that detracts from the mission. We want to be the organization that provides solid services year-round. And then during the month of February, as we do Run, Ranger, Run, the awareness aspect is the number one priority. And then if people understand the issue and they understand what Gallifrey does in response, they naturally say, how can I help? And in this case, it's by raising funds so that we can continue to operate. Um, we only touched around 2,000 people last year with uh, the Total Run Ranger Run campaign. And we haven't finished counting everything because some of the donations are still coming in, but we'll have raised about $170,000 total by the time it's done. Wow. And uh, and the expense will be somewhere in the between thirty dollars and $40,000 range. Wow. So most organizations go out and they do a banquet that costs them $100,000, and they raise $130,000, so they only get thirty. And uh, and the awareness part is non-existent. That's we're turning that model around. Yeah. And if we can, with Run Ranger Run, if we can reach ten thousand people, now now we're raising significantly more than we did. And we don't raise money just for the sake of raising money. I want to be clear on that. We have the the first two and a half, almost three years of Gallant Fuse existence. I was the only. I wasn't paid but I was the only full-time person. I did it absolutely for free until it got to the point where I needed to have a job and make some money. And Gallifrey was either going to be a weekend hobby or it was going to be my life. And the board, the board started to uh, vote to pay me at that point. And, and now we have seven staff positions. And through those seven staff positions, at the end of last year, we had provided just under 1,000 services to veterans. And uh, and we're on track to exceed that this year. A thousand, a thousand. Wow. That's not a thousand veterans. I want to be clear on that. Right. Service. Because if I helped somebody write rewrite their resume, and I got them post traumatic stress therapy, that's two services, one veteran. Right. So in many cases, it was one service, one veteran. They were done. In some, it was three or four services for veterans. So I think our actual veterans that we actually served are probably between the six and seven hundred mark for last year. But we don't. We haven't had a way to go in and cleanly count that yet. We're trying to figure out through the way that we document and capture. We, we capture the services really well, and we can run reports that say, "Boom, this is we did this many services for homelessness, this many services for X, Y, Z." Um, but it's just going back and saying, "Okay, now how many veterans did that represent?" And I, and I think that what you're saying right now, and I want to, I want people to realize this is that a thousand services 
and, and, and you, you know, whether it was, you know, 200 veterans or, or, or six, 700, 800 veterans, whatever, that's a lot of people. A lot of veterans got served last year, services last year that, that were much needed. And it was because of, of gallant few, um, you know, you, if, if you're listening to this right now, again, open up another browser, go to gallantfew.org. That's gallantfew.org. If you're looking for an organization to, to donate to, this this is the one to do it. it, it hands down, this is this is the one that, that you want to get involved. And that actually brings me to my question, Carl, that I, I wanted to ask you earlier. Let's say you have somebody uh, in the community, whether it's a, a veteran or you, or you have a, a civilian out there that wants to somehow get involved with Gallant Few. How does one go about doing that? They go to gallantfew.org. There's a, a place on there if they're a veteran, they can click veteran sign up. <clears throat> if they're a civilian and they want to volunteer, there is on the menu bar, there's a place where they can click and volunteer and give us our information. Perfect. Um, I don't want this to come across the wrong way. We get people that say, I want to volunteer. I want to help a soldier rewrite his resume. You know what? That's not what we need. There are a thousand people out there, a thousand organizations that rewrite soldiers' resumes. Some do it for free. Some charge a couple hundred bucks to do it. But when that's the easy stuff. The harder stuff is teaching the soldier how to translate his or her skills into something meaningful on a resume so that if they don't get the job they're applying to now, when they write the resume for the next job next month, they, they understand how their skills and abilities play into that. So if you're willing to teach someone, and that means you need to understand what their job in the military was and how to move those skills, both the hard and soft skills, into a civilian resume, then great. But I don't need somebody to just take a resume and make it look prettier. That's no. No. that's, I, yeah, that's I, I, covered hands down many many ways over. Yeah. There's something significantly more important that people can volunteer right now in their own community, and that is organizational. Um, last time I checked, uh, the 2010 census data said that 10% of the population of the United States are veterans. 10%. So my you gave it away earlier. I live in Trophy Club, Texas. Got uh, 13,000 people that live in Trophy Club, Texas. It's uh, an affluent suburb, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we live in the really cheap side, just so you know. But when you go around Trophy Club, there's no way that you would say there's 1,300 veterans that live in this four-mile-by-four-mile square area. It just, that can't be, that can't be real. But it is. And those of those 1,300 veterans, about 10% of them are going to be post-9-11 veterans, 1% of the total population. So about 130 in this community are post-9-11 veterans. Um, I've had some people challenge me on that. How can there be that many post-9-11 veterans? Because I don't know any. And I'll start asking questions. Well, what about so-and-so's kid? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I actually had one of the city council members say, well, our, our last mayor, her son, was in the army, deployed to Afghanistan, came back and lived in her house for a year or two after he got out. Right. That's exactly what I'm talking about. There, there is a hidden population of both pre-9/11 and post-9/11 veterans in every community across the country. And when you think about the the best way that a veteran can receive help, it's from people that are just like him or her, which means other veterans that live locally, other veterans that live locally. And how do you then, it becomes this 
it's a difficult thing to be able to go into a community and say, I want to reach 10% of this population, 9% of which are pre-9-11, 1% are post-9-11. I want to reach this population so that they understand that there are issues that face veterans that they can help resolve because most of the pre-9-11 veterans have transitioned successfully. Some of them are retired, some of them are World War II and nursing homes can't help very much, but not all the post-9-11 veterans need help. They're, some of them are doing just fine. Right. So it's still a 9 or even a 10 to 1 ratio. But how do, you, how do you mobilize? How do you educate? How do you mobilize? How do you coordinate that 10% of the veteran population, of the population that are veterans, so that when whether it's a Vietnam veteran that now is in ill health and needs help, or whether it's an Afghanistan veteran that just can't find a dang job, the, the 10% of veterans in the community can help. And so that's the biggest challenge we have. How do you make that happen? One of the ways we've um, addressed that is first Saturday veteran breakfast. We need somebody in every community in the country to go find a local mom-and-pop breakfast place and go in and warn them, hey, is it okay if the first Saturday of every month, about 9 o'clock in the morning, some veterans come in here, sit around a table for an hour or two, and drink coffee? And I've never had uh, a breakfast place say no. And so then, armed with that information, you go back to the, the local city council or the city manager, and you say, hey, I want this on the city webpage. I want it on the Facebook page. If you have a marquee in the entryway into the community, I want this on there. The veterans are going to gather at this little breakfast place the first Saturday of each month for fellowship. Free. If you don't have any money, just come get a glass of water. Some, maybe somebody will buy you a burrito or something. But it, it provides a forum for veterans to start connecting with other veterans in a non-threatening way where the, there's no expectation that they have to do something. And when you do that, now then the word starts getting out. And since we've started doing it here in Trophy Club, and we only have about a dozen, maybe a little more than a dozen veterans right now that are coming. Last year when I started doing it here, uh, I was the only one sitting there reading the paper, eating a breakfast burrito, having a cup of coffee, and then after an hour I'd leave. But lo and behold, after a couple of months, somebody else finally figured it out. I had There were two of us, then there were four of us, and now there's you know 14, I think, came to the last one. Uh, it's still it's not scratching the surface because there's over a thousand that live in this community, but we're going to keep working at that. And an outcome of that is someone in the community called me up and they said, "Hey, you're the guy that does that, right? Correct. Well, there's a veteran here in this community that needs some help. Boom. That's what it's all about. So um, that process can happen in every community, big or small, across the country, but. The thing that is challenging about it is it's not easy. It's not, oh, I just I got an email, I looked at somebody's resume, I marked it up and sent it back to them. No, this makes you actually have to get off your butt, go out, meet people, talk to people, do things. Yeah. And it's harder to get people motivated to go out and do that. But, uh, but where that's happening, we're getting some great results. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now you guys, I'm going to bring this up, but what is it, Tuesday and Thursday nights? You guys... Tuesday and Thursday night here in uh, Grapevine, Texas. Yeah. We go to Summit Climbing Gym, and uh, courtesy of the Metroport Rotary Club of South Lake, Texas, we take veterans indoor rock climbing for free. That's and, absolutely. And uh, if you amazing. just showed up there, weren't a member, 
said, hey, I'm here. I want to rock climb. You shell out 35 or 40 bucks to get rent shoes and harness and get access to the gym. And, uh, and veterans get it for free Tuesday and Thursday night when I'm there. Um, I, I want to talk real quick about the civic organization yeah. because the, uh, the veteran that returns home, even a veteran that's been in the area for a long time, if they have not gone out and intentionally looked, they don't realize that organizations like Rotary International and the Chamber of Commerce and Kiwanis, there are all these organizations out there that you can just go, you can look them up online, you can Google your zip code or your city name and Rotary, and you'll find a list of clubs that meet within a close proximity of where you are. Sometimes they're, and I'll talk about Rotary because I've been a Rotarian for over 10 years now, three different clubs. I love the organization. And you can just show up. And the first time you go, they probably won't even make you pay for your own breakfast or lunch or whatever it is that they do. But it's a group of people that belong to an organization whose motto is service above self. And they do things to better the community. We've done fundraisers to put a walk-in freezer at the local food bank warehouse. We've given scholarships to local high school kids. They raised enough money. The last two years, they had some extra left over. They asked for projects. I threw in the veteran climbing thing. They voted and funded it. Uh, these are these are people that love to do things to help the local community, but at the same time, it's part of an international organization that is about to eliminate polio, working hand-in-hand hand with the Gates Foundation. So um, organizations like that can be invaluable for making friends. And going back to the 10% of the population are veterans, when you go to a Rotary Club or a Kiwanis Club or a Chamber of Commerce, guess what? About 10% of the people that are there are veterans, but very few of them are going to be wearing a sign on their forehead that says, hey, I'm a veteran. So as you go around and start talking to people, you find the veterans that are there. And if you go to Chamber of Commerce, uh, different ones here in the Dallas area, do free coffee networking hours. And you don't have to be a member of the Chamber of Commerce to come. You You just come. And there are... I belong right now to two different chambers of commerce. One is Metroport and one is Southlake. And when you go to that organization, what what you do when you go to their networking event is it's like kind of a social hour. You walk in, there's a place where you can sign up, give them your name and your email address, and you might have to pay 10 bucks to come in. But you get a name tag and, uh, and you go in and you get an opportunity to walk around and meet other people. And as you meet them, you ask them questions about what they do. You do the networking thing, which is, well, I'm here because I'm an army veteran, moved back to town fairly recently, transitioning out of the military, not sure exactly where I fit in. I'm trying to figure that part out. And I'm looking for people that I can meet, that I can tell about my skills and abilities, and they can give me guidance on what might be good in terms of professional occupation or or other opportunities here in the area. And when you approach it like that, that person goes, oh, let me see. I know Jim Bob, who owns this business. You need to talk to him. And I know Mary Ellen. She does this over here. You need to talk to her. And they'll give you a list of people that you should talk to. If you go to one of those events and you walk up and you say, hi, I'm Carl. I'm an unemployed veteran. I'm looking for work. They're going to say, thank you very much. I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. <laughs> They're going to go <laughs> the other way. So you have to do it. You have to be smart about the way you do it, and you have to be looking to develop relationships. I had to learn all this because I did not know it when I left active duty. I thought, 
because I was a captain in a ranger battalion, and people should go, ooh, we want you to take over our entire company and make it better. <laughs> and uh, and, it, <laughs> and that never happened. I think it's – and that's really great advice, Get, getting out there. I, I love to, to, to network, although it, it may seem weird because those of you that listened to the show before, you've heard me say I don't like big crowds, but when you go to these networking events, you meet new people, and you never know who you're going to meet, uh, and you never know what doors of opportunity will open for you. Uh, but you got to take that first step. You got to make the decision to to get out there. Carl, I want to I want to uh, switch gears here because we're we're running down on time here. Rec- right. Recently, uh, you were at an event out in uh, North Carolina with the uh, Raider Pro- uh, Raider Project, Wilmington, North Carolina. Yes. Talk about that. So Raider Project is an organization that Gallifrey started a couple of years ago that focuses on Marine Corps. And it's led by a Marine Special Operations veteran, former E-6, named Nick Kumalatsos. And Nick has gone through his own struggles with post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. And um, as he came on board to help us reach more of the Marine Corps community, which is so important because as an Army veteran, I don't speak Marine. And, you know, they don't even say who are the right way. They they <laughs> drop letters, add vowels. It's just you never understand off. what the Marines are saying. It's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't. I, a lance corporal. What is that like? You cut their arm and yeah, they right. bleed. I, I don't understand what that means. So that it's just an example of the culture is different. The knowledge is different. And for us to have more credibility, we need to be able to speak Marine. Right. Nick is able to do that, and he's grown the organization phenomenally. Well, he came to me about I don't know six or more months ago and said, "Hey, we are, we are going to do a, a Raider Project transition seminar." in Wilmington, North Carolina. It's going to be a Friday and a Saturday, eight hours both days, and we are going to stock it with some of the most amazing speakers. And I can say that because I was one of them. But uh, these speakers are going to talk about various things that are not spoken about in the traditional military transition seminars or, or workshops or ACAP programs or whatever you go through. So we had First speakers, Randy Hetrick, who's the founder of TRX. Oh yeah, yep. Sort yep. Uh, the the uh, training system with yep. straps, which is amazing. Kirk Weisler, who is uh, an Army veteran, that uh, is a he's the chief morale officer for a number of different companies. He's a storyteller, and he and he works parables, and a um, phenomenal, phenomenal guy. Uh, that was very, very motivating. Uh, Dr. Kerry Elk who is an expert on post-traumatic stress and therapies that are completely different and removed from what the VA does. Um, Jeff Nichols, who is uh, a Navy SEAL veteran, who is an expert in traumatic brain injury and diet and the effect of diet and physiology on post-traumatic stress. And uh, let's see, we had uh, Mike Schlitz, who talked about transition and overcoming adversity. Nick Palmashano came in and talked about being an entrepreneur, and Vince Vargas gave a, a talk about really holistically how do you get control of your life once you've gone from being this this warrior to being a dad, and what what are true priorities in life? And there were a couple of other speakers that were in there as well. Phenomenal. I had I had a an E8 retired Army Ranger that's been out for a couple of years that came up to me and he said. Look, I got my folder here with my 214s and my enlisted record brief and all the stuff I usually bring to a transition seminar. Nobody's asked me for them yet. He said, 
this is the most valuable seminar that I have ever gone to on transition. And, uh, and I heard that over and over and over again. It was not the traditional stuff that gets fed to you through the ACAP program or if you go to a big job fair. It was, it was stocked with information that was usable right now, and, uh, and we rely very heavily on the ability to share lessons learned. And that, to a great extent, was what a lot of these people were doing. They were talking about the after-action review of, of transition. And and that's quite a line of those of you that are are listening to this and are, are you know are veterans or or you're on social media a lot and you follow the veteran community. Um, Carl's named quite a few big names in, in the veteran community right now that are that are are doing some amazing things. Randy from TRX, I've had the opportunity to talk to him several times. Great guy. Nick. And what was amazing? Yeah, we got to the end of the day on Saturday, and all of the attendees who had stayed the whole way through each got their own free TRX tactical system. Oh, nice. <laughs> and that's like a $200 workout yes, package right there. Yes, it is. And it's, it's so, an awesome it's system. Awesome system, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, and, and I've heard, I had somebody that I knew uh, other than you and, and, and Carrie uh, there speaking, uh, and, and Michael, um, there was another gentleman in the local area that was down there, and I, I, he did a short video on, on the... Uh, on the seminar and he posted some stuff on it and, and then, you know, following Nick and, and Vincent and, and, uh, and Mike and you and, and just seeing all you guys' stuff. And I was like, man, I, I wish that was something they would do. I'm hoping they would decide to do something on the West coast, uh, here. Uh, you know, yeah, we're, well. we're already, we're already starting to talk about that now. You know, when Nick came up with the idea at first, I, I was a little skeptical. I thought it's going to be hard to get people out there. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't sure who he was going to have to speak. Well, as he started pulling the thing together, I started getting pretty excited about it. And we had, Nick said there were over 200 people that attended. Yeah, that's, so, and that's amazing. Um, Absolutely amazing. Yeah, that, that was, it, it was phenomenal. And I've already talked with the Darby Project director about doing one in the Seattle area. Um, I, we could, conceivably, we could do one in every major metropolitan area. Yeah. It's just a question of, the, the time that we have <laughs> to go and put that doggone thing together because it took he, he and his team it took them quite a while right a lot of work to put this thing together and uh, uh, I mean it paid off but it's something that who knows who knows what we'll do in the future we, we definitely want to be able to replicate the success there and bring that message to other organizations Carl I'm going to uh, we're getting ready to, to wrap up the show here that was a quick hour. I, I, it really was, but it, it, we're not we're not quite done yet because there's something else we got to talk about, and that's your show, the New American Veteran. Mm-hmm. Tell our listeners, you know, what to expect from that show and and why they want to tune in, uh, and, and and one follow you because you, they can follow you on on, on Facebook, um, and, and again. Make sure you check out gallantfew.org. Go to open up another browser. Go to gallantfew.org. Open up another browser. Go to Facebook and and follow Gallant Few if you're not already. Get out from that rock that you're living out from under and and and, and follow them and and also do uh, the New American Veteran on Facebook uh, because Carl put, put some stuff up there. Had I was on uh, your show last week or, or the week before I believe and um, tell our listeners here what they can expect from the new American veteran. The new American veteran is 
constant theme throughout Gallifrey, capturing lessons learned. And I love to interview veterans who have gone from active duty to something else, and now they're willing to share how they got there and what they do with the other veteran audience. I, I talked earlier about the React ambush. Uh, I'm I'm alive and whole and have all my arms and legs today because sustained airborne training is a continuous rehearsal of bad things other people have gone through that you're never going to go through until one day I found myself laying on a canopy in midair about 600 feet above the ground. And if I didn't know what to do because it had been drilled into me, I'd have sat there and froze and thought, oh, my God, I'm going to die, and I probably would have. But the ability to carry information that other people have to learn from that and to apply it where it's needed, it's absolutely crucial. And whether you go from being in the Army as a truck driver to being your own small business owner providing electrical, electrician services to a community or whatever it is that you end up having to do, we want to be able to share those lessons learned. And that's part of the new American veteran is how do you, how do these new veterans, how do you capture their information and how do you pass that to the other folks that come behind? None of the veterans that I've spoken with have said, oh, you know, I don't want somebody to learn what I do because they might compete with me. Everyone has been more than willing to share that information because they want to help other veterans too. Watching out for our own. I absolutely love it, Carl. Listen, folks, <clears throat> we've been speaking with Carl Monger, um, founder of Gallant View. And, and if, again, open up another browser. you got to check out what uh, Carl's been doing the last several years. It, he's in, in the, the people that he surrounds himself by uh, are just amazing people. I, I mean, it, it's it, he's always doing something. I mean, I, I look up and, and Carl's there. He's he's doing it, and he's a prime example and a role model of of what we can do to help the veteran community. And uh, I, again, I'm honored to to call him my friend, Carl. I, I appreciate likewise every, everything that you do for us. I'm I'm it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. I'm glad that you're a, a part of the new platform, the Heroes Media Group. And folks, uh, those of you that want to check out the New American Veteran, if you're not up on Facebook. Uh, simply go to heroesmediagroup.com. Uh, you'll be able to uh, find the show there as well. Uh, Carl has um, some videos and stuff like that that he does. You'll be able to watch it uh, on there on his show page once that's uh, com- completed and, and up and everything. And then get involved. I cannot stress this enough. Make a donation. Listen, Gallant Few, this is the type of organization that you want to donate to. You will sleep better at night, I promise you. Um, it's absolutely amazing with stuff. You'll lose weight too. Yeah, you'll lose, (laughs) you'll definitely lose some weight. So, um, Carl, any parting words before we let you go, my friend? It's an honor to be your friend. I appreciate everything that you do and thank you for, uh, continuing to work the veteran community and, and tell stories that people need to hear. Thanks, Carl. Well, until next time, folks, thank you again for listening to the decision hour for Carl Monger. I'm Adam Bird. We'll see you next time.
toi 